Today is ours. Let's live it. And love is strong. Let's give it. A song can help. Let's sing it. And peace is dear. Let's bring it. The past is gone. Don't rue it. Our work is here. Let's do it. The world is wrong. Let's right it. The battle is hard. Let's fight it. The road is rough. Let's clear it. The future fast. Don't fear it. Is faith asleep? Let's wake it. Because today is ours. Let's take it. I'm so excited about today's conversation um, with Miss Kalea Sibley. Thank you so much for being here, being able to share your story to inspire other women, young women, and even young men out there who might be interested in what you do and the road to get there. So thank you so, so much for being here, Kalea. Yes, thank you, Ariel, for having me um, on this podcast today. I'm super excited to chat with you. Yeah. So if you have, um, we're going to go ahead and share your socials now, and then we're also going to share them at the end. So before we even dive in, can you please share where you would like people to find more information about you? Yeah, just Instagram. You can basically find me at Mackenzie, M as in mom, E-K-E-N-Z-I-E-J-7. Um, on LinkedIn, you can find me at just Kalea Sibley. So that's Kalea, K-A-L-A-Y-A. And then my last name is Sibley, S-I-B-L-E-Y. And then for Twitter, but now known as X, you can find me at Afrolea, A-F-R-O-L-A-Y-A. I do anticipate changing that pretty soon, but I'll keep it that way just for the sake of people following me, but um, just to keep all my socials consistent. But yeah, so. One of the reasons I'm really excited about speaking with you is because we have not had anyone on who is in PR, and that is such a huge huge part of marketing, whether that's getting on the front end of telling your own story or getting behind a story that may have been told. Also, before we even dive into PR, because I know there's some business owners who love to tune in, founders, um, other people who are going to be going to school for what you do, I would love to dive into the master's program that you're in right now at Syracuse and why you chose it, because it's such an amazing when you told me what it was, I was like, oh, wow, I want to ask you more about that. Yeah. So I understand that you're getting your master, a double master's degree in global communications and public diplomacy. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about why and how that's going to influence your work in PR? Yes, absolutely. So, um, yes, I'm definitely at Syracuse University and um, I'm doing basically a two-in-one program. So it's a two-in-one master's program uh, with public diplomacy and global communications. And so it's filtered through both the Newhouse School of Public Communications as well as the Maxwell School of International Relations, um, Public Affairs, and Citizenship. Um, and so basically it's it's intersecting literally that international relations with that communications aspect. Um, I was immediately drawn to it when I discovered that I could, one, get a two-in-one 
pro master's program. So I'm basically getting two masters in one program. So of course that immediately drew me in. But when I was an undergrad, I, you know, I was majoring in communications with a focus in public relations, but I was also a political science minor. And I also had aspirations and still do of going to law school. So when I came across the master's program, it really kind of intersected all of my interests into one master's. And I was like, oh, yes, I can do this in 1.5 years. And that is perfect. Um, and so when we talk about the discussion about like public diplomacy, public diplomacy, a lot of people aren't aware of what that is. And it's just basically like similar to public relations. It's efforts on like a government scale and national relations scale to communicate effectively and directly to certain publics, um, depending on what that public is. And so. With my interest in communications and politics and policy and law, um, I, of course, had to take advantage of this graduate program, even though I had several, you know, opportunities to go elsewhere, like Columbia University, USC, um, Georgetown, Syracuse, Newhouse specifically has an astounding repu rep reputation for um communications and then Maxwell is the number one public affairs school in the nation so it was pretty much a no-brainer when I decided to choose um, this master's program and it all I also feel like it will um, launch me into my path of entrepreneurship but also going to law school at the same time which is probably definitely going to be hard but um I definitely feel that it'll set me up. So if I do decide, hey, I want to go into politics and be a public diplomat or do public administration, I have that education and I have that background to do so. And then, of course, with the intersection of PR into that, if I want to go into a PR firm or if I when I do start my own firm, I have that background and that additional education to do that as well. With an unwavering conviction that to be Black is political, Kalea embarked on a path of self-discovery and that led her to become a driving force for change and amplification of marginalized voices. A proud graduate of Dillard University, the oldest HBCU in Louisiana, Kalea not only achieved academic excellence, but also garnered numerous accolades that underscore her commitment to advocacy and service. Her recognition as a White House HBCU scholar, the first from Dillard University, an AT&T Dreaming Black Rising Future Maker, and now a distinguished member of Forbes Black, she is pursuing her master's degree at Syracuse Newhouse, and her ambitions continue to soar. Her aspirations to pivot into law school stands as a testament to her multifaceted approach to enacting change. And as a visionary, she sees a future where her passion for effective communication and legal acumen converge into a public relations and legal affairs firm. And I know we're so excited to see her do it. Kalea aims to collaborate with diverse entities from businesses to cultural movements, from politicians to entertainers, all to create an and execute global communication and marketing strategy. Growing up, I'm originally born and raised from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Ooh, um, and I attended my um, college in, at Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana. So um, I was still in the South, um, but in, in high school, I knew that I wanted to pursue journalism. Mm -hmm. um, I was very strong on going to school and being on Good Morning America or CNN. And that was like my junior year in high school. So I was a part of like audiovisual productions, but I was also a part of other organizations like an organization called Youth in Government. And I was able to basically 
participate in like a mock form of youth and government, whether that's legislative, judicial, public affairs, et cetera. And I was able to like compete statewide with other people and come up with, you know, interesting bills and proposals to like, you know, Texas's Texas um, most pressing problems and issues. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of also had that background as well. So when I went into college at Dillard, I immediately took on mass communications as a major, of course. Um, because I knew I wanted to be a journalist. And then I took on political science as a minor um, because I had that politic background in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I got to my freshman year, I realized I don't really want to do journalism. And I was like, but I, I love the art of storytelling. Absolutely. Storytelling is you know, a huge part of who I am, but I was like, I don't want to do journalism. I want to be a little bit more impactful, more hands-on. And I really love the aspect of campaigns. And so the other concentration that was offered was public relations. And so I ended up pursuing public relations. I fell in love with the intro class. I even fell in love with my media law class, which also got me involved in like my pre-law program. Um, And so um, I started getting like internships in PR, corporate communications, just the broader spectrum of like communications. And I immediately fell in love with PR specifically and the idea of campaigning and relaying, conveying messages for people to understand and relate to and um, be impacted by positively. Um, And so I pursued that. And that's how I ended up being a mass communications major with a focus in, you know, um, public relations. And then I was a political science minor. And then I was also a part of the pre-law program. And when people ask me, you know, Kalea, what do you want to be? What do you what do you aspire to do with all of that? I'm like, oh, um, because I don't know how to explain it to people. I'm like, oh, I want to be a modernized Olivia Pope. So now I kind of go by this this whole thing of I'm a Gen Z Olivia Pope because, you know, most people don't know what PR is, let alone crisis communication and crisis management and ways to put together campaigns and marketing and how they all intersect, especially when you have interest in politics and policy and international relations. Um, So that's kind of how I would put the the title to what I would want to be or what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, So fast forward to now, I'm in my master's program. I've graduated from undergrad and Mm -hmm. I'm doing just that. And then it came about that I do want to start my own firm um, and provide services, not only to just um, politicians, but business owners and entertainers and creatives, thought leaders, um, nonprofit organizations that I support their, their initiatives and their missions. And so that's how I ended up here, really. Um, Politics is a huge part of everybody's life, but especially as a Black person, politics is your life, unfortunately. And so... Say that again. (laughs) I knew at a young age it would be a disservice to not be aware, to not be an advocate, to not be an activist. Um, And so that's kind of where my passion for politics and, and that political science aspect, international relations aspects comes in. But I understand that communications and things like PR or journalism or film or... Um, news, podcasts for even are important mm-hmm. because how is someone able to understand a message that you're trying to convey if you aren't communicating, if you aren't, you know, effectively right. providing strategies for people to actually consume your message. Right. And understanding that that message is a tool, that right. your story is a tool. I think for me, when I started um, working on my startup, I was not as aware of the, I really was not aware of much of anything when it came to startups. But what the most important thing that was ever communicated, I mean, from 
the time I started till now is the story, the story, the story, the message, the message, the message, and how it's crafted, understanding who you're talking to, what their pain points are, and how you can be a source of uh, an an answer for their their problem. What part of the pro- of the PR world for you is the part that really like gets you so excited? Oh, PR is, I would say PR is very broad, but I think one of the things that PR gets me excited about PR is that crisis management aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, when I mentioned Olivia Pope, she was literally the crisis manager in the the show scandal um and there's actually a real life olivia pope her name is judy smith and i really look up to her she's like a renowned um crisis manager and has managed some of the top cases that are private and you know none of us are able to know about but has solved some of the most pressing issues and i think that's what really attracts me most to pr is taking a problem and literally solving that problem uh Mm -hmm. providing creative solutions to you know something that seemed like it was in shambles or seemed like it was unable to be solved or impossible to be solved. And so that's really what draws me in. But also what draws me into PR is being able to to form the narrative of a story. Like we talk about storytelling. I'm learning that storytelling or a story is in everybody and in everything. So um, creatively coming up with strategies and um, campaigns and ways to craft a story, whether that's for like a business or it's just for, you know, a random campaign that you want to do at your school campus. Um, I think it's what really draws me in. It gives me you know, my creative juice is flowing and I'm also able to still be rational and be strategic in how I execute those um, creative like campaigns or creative plans. And so those are probably two of the main things that I would say really draws me into PR. And then, of course, the relationship building aspect. A lot of what communications is based upon, but especially PR is based upon relationships, um, relationships with media, relationships with people, um, because a lot of times you're just trying to get your client exposure. You're trying to get them awareness. And a lot you can't do that if you don't have positive relationships with um, media or certain outlets that you're trying to get your brand or business awareness from. Right. That's amazing. You're 22. <laughs> I can see why um, you've been recognized time and time again for your work. I, I was really excited to see um, the rising future maker from last year, you were in that class, which is really cool. Can you tell us how that came about through AT&T? Thank you. So yes, I was named a 2022 um, Rise and Future Maker for the AT&T Dream and Black Initiative, um, along with 25 other HBCU students. Um, and basically, they just recognize HBCU students based off their community activism, their service, their engagement, <laughs> but also just based off who they are and their interests and what they want to do career-wise and professionally. Um, so the way that came about, I came uh, about the program because I'm always searching for ways to advance myself, to improve, um, whether that be myself or somebody else around me, my colleagues. Um, so I came about the program, I applied for it and I got notified that I got in and a lot of what they Mm -hmm. asked was, you know, what are some things that you aspire to do career wise, but also you're an avid person who can be, who contributes to your community. So if you could, you know partner up with any you know company or business um, to inflict change or impact in your community who would that be and so 
um, they really loved, I guess, my application and who I was. And I was also, you know, the first Dillard student to become a part of the 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 cohort. Um, so, you know, I was accepted into it and I was able to connect with other HBCU students and, what? you know, be That's immersed in certain programmatic um events that allow me to execute um, and exercise my interests in terms of career-wise. So um, recently they flew me out to New Orleans and I was able to attend Essence and I was able to be immersed in a main stage moment where I spoke during a concert. It was the Missy Elliott concert, if y'all don't remember. <laughs> it was Missy Elliott concert. Right. So it was during the Missy Elliott concert. And I was able to talk a bit about the initiative, but also represent my alma mater, Dillard University, and also exercise my public speaking skills because, of course, I want to be a PR professional and I want to own my own firm. So they said, okay, well, we want to immerse you in this opportunity so you can exercise that and better yourself as a public speaker, but also, you know, have that experience to network and connect with other HBCU students who are just like you, but may have different career interests. So that was really, really fun. And we also were able to get a technology mm -hmm. package that they call, um, and we were able to get $5,000, um, a free phone, uh, a jacket like paraphernalia that says dream in black which supposedly is like the most expensive jacket and it's really really cute everybody wants it along with um a couple of other things and then of course exposure and connections to AT&T in general and so that was a really fun experience and I really encourage anybody because the cohort is opening up their applications pretty soon to apply if you are an HBCU student and you're interested in having such an amazing experience that I did that is really really cool congratulations and I love what you said. You said, I'm making a table with chairs for all. Why did you say that? I'm curious. You know, why do you feel like that there, there's still an, a gap to where you have to make your own table at all? Yes, I love that question. Um, one of my biggest inspirations is Shirley Chisholm. Um, okay, and I see you. Right. Shirley <laughs> Chisholm is is a huge um, portion of my inspiration. She was so fearless and she was an activist. She was an advocate. She was unapologetic about her capacity. And I really admire that. But one of her quotes that she that is literally impactful is if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a photo chair. I um, love it. And so I take from that, you know. A lot of times there are tables and certain spaces um, that we aren't always allowed to have a seat at, period. And so I really love mm -hmm. that idea of bringing a fold-up chair. But for me, if I have that capacity to be at a table um, and hopefully not have to bring a, bring a fold-up chair, but I will if I have to. Um, if I have that capacity to do that, my job then is to come back into my community and pull back up. So that's what I mean when I say creating a table for all, because essentially speaking, if I'm at a table, I'm not just there for myself. I think that's an understanding that we all have within our community is that, you know, you are a representation of yourself, but also of your people. So with me having um, a seat at the table, it also allows for other people to have a seat at the table, which essentially allows for everyone to have a seat at the table. So that really... Um, really sticks with me and it's really personal to me because I know what it's like to not have a seat at the table. I know what it's like to not have access to resources um, or just things to be successful. And so um, when I say I want to see at the table for all, I absolutely mean that in any space, anywhere that I go, anybody that I'm connected with, I'm bringing with me because 
as we know, there isn't always space for us. Um, but also, I don't believe in just bringing a fold-up chair. You can also create your own table. And that's what right. I want to do with my firm. I want to create my own table because why not? We have the capability. The world is ours and people before us, ancestors before us, weren't able to, you know, reach for the stars. So who am I to not do that? Who am I to not create a table when I have, you know, access and knowledge and awareness of the fact that, hey, I can do this thing. I can start this firm. I do have the capabilities. I am smart enough. Um, so that's really where that stemmed from. And how can the community help you in building that table? What do you need to create the firm of your dreams? I That's a, a beautiful question. Um, I would honestly just say support relationships um, and connecting with me, honestly, because like I mentioned earlier, a lot of what communications and PR is, is relationships. So, you know, reach out to me, connect with me, and I would love to connect with other individuals to figure out ways um, to come up with different initiatives and partnerships potentially amongst people to help advance, you know, um, our lives and our, you know, existence as people. I think one of the things for me with my firm that I really gravitate towards, which I'm still working on, is um, providing the greatest solutions to the world and society's most pressing problems. Um, and I think a lot of times in a lot of these industries and spaces, Oftentimes, Black people, Black individuals, and people of color were left out of the conversation. Um, but we're one of the main contributors to a lot of things in society. So we deserve to be at those tables, right? We deserve to be a part of that discussion because anything that impacts one community is going to impact our community 10 times worse. So I think for me, being able to connect with people and know what we experience and know, hey, I'm a person who has an idea for business and I want to expand my communication strategies and get exposure and awareness me being able to connect with that person who looks like me and help them get the exposure that they deserve is what helps my firm and essentially speaking. Um, and that's really ba the basis behind it. I just wanna ensure that I'm able to help any business really, but a person of color or somebody who looks like me get the exposure and the representation and the um, attraction that they deserve for what it is that they're providing. Um, currently right now I'm working with a business where one of their um, initiatives is to create food packages for um, affordable food packages for certain communities, certain marginalized communities. And so that instantly drew me in because I'm like, how can I support you? How can I help get you exposure, get you partnerships with people who can generate, you know, funding for you to be able to execute such an amazing initiative like this? Um, and so that's what I mean when I say, like, that's one of the biggest ways to I can have support is just by building relationships with people. Um, and and so even just touching more on that with me knowing that New Orleans is what number two in the nation that struggles with food insecurity, of course, I'm going to naturally gravitate towards a project like that because, you know, I was once a student at, in New Orleans and I also understand the New Orleans community because I was a student there. So being able to work with a business or a company that wants to do such an amazing initiative like that is honestly groundbreaking but to also work with someone who looks like me on an initiative initiative like that is groundbreaking as well so that's yeah. one of the ways i would say that support what support looks like for me well awesome and i hope someone many someone's out there listening hear that and hear that Kalea is looking for connections, introductions, and a, maybe some funding won't hurt. I'm just saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Funding does not hurt. 
Yeah, we're gonna throw that in there. So you also have, this was, I mean, it was a little while ago, but I want you to share this experience because it is major. You went to the White House, ma'am. You yeah. went to Washington, D.C. and the advancement um, to support the advancement of HBCUs. Why do you feel like your HBCU experience was so critical to your success? Why did, How did it impact you and how did this trip to the White House impact you? I could write it. I could honestly write an article on my HBCU and why it's critical. You talked about that background aspect, and to give you a little bit of background into like my HBCU like lineage, uh, my grandmother she actually attended an HBCU in Texas. It was called Butler College at the time, but it was shut down due to um, population issues. And then both my mom and my dad both graduated and are alums of Tuskegee University. Woo woo to you. Um, so um, growing up, I was very immersed in Tuskegee life and HBCU life and being around my mom's friends who are still my godmothers till this day. Um, mm -hmm. So I know I knew what HBCU life was about, kind of, and I knew how important it was. So when it came time to me going to college and selecting a school, my parents were like, you have 100 plus options. You need to choose one. Okay. <laughs> So I knew I didn't want to go to Tuskegee because I wanted to fulfill my own vision, my own journey and my own legacy. So I chose Dillard University and I would probably say, looking back now that I've graduated, I would not have chosen any other HBCU. And that's no shade to our cousin down the street, Xavier University. <laughs> but yes. We support all HBCUs, but I think they are cutting down the street. <laughs> yes. All love to them, all love to them. But I think with Dillard University, um, the history and the um culture is it itself, the family orientation is what really sold me and drew me in. And when you ask me how do I feel like my HBCU contribute to who I am today, I it honestly makes me emotional because I'm in this reflection period right now, having just graduated and really realizing how my HBCU provided me with a safe space. And I think anybody who's gone to an HBCU knows exactly what I mean. It provided me with a safe space for people who look like me, who strive to excel in their professions, who strive to be educated. Um, and so it was inspiring, it was motivating, it was comfortable even to be able to have that. And I think it has instilled in me this foundation of pride, of um, just being prideful in who I am, being prideful as a black person, being prideful as a black woman and my existence. But it also instilled this foundation in me of resilience because anybody knows you go to an HBCU, there are things that come with HBCUs. Um, and they, they're literally meant to train you and teach you how to navigate um, uncertainties in the world. And so I think now anything that I come up against, I'll be able to navigate it with a fierce mindset, a fierce attitude, but also compassion um, and strength to be able to get through it because, oh, have I been through some things in my illustrious HBCU. Um, and so being able to go to the White House and be recognized by them as a White House HBCU scholar was probably... I want to say my number one goal um, while attending Dillard. Uh, yeah. So to thank you. So to be able to accomplish that, um, I was really proud of myself and to 
connect with other HBCU students. Every HBCU you can think of had a White House HBCU scholar um, and different people with different aspirations and different goals, but we're all in support of, you know, HBCUs and we're all being recognized by the White House. It was really, really fun. I had a really amazing time and I, I'm still connected with people to this day um, that were White House scholars. We see each other all the time on social media. Everyone's doing wonderful things. People are at the Capitol. People are going to law school. People are pursuing their careers. So, you know, to be recognized by the White House was like an affirmation for myself because at one point I didn't feel like the work that I was doing was being recognized or appreciated. Um, but it showed me that I am, you know, worthy. I am doing a good job. I am a, an advocate that does have a voice. People do hear me. People do see me. Um, and so that means a lot. But when we talk about that advancement of HBCUs, HBCUs are disproportionately funded, um, period. And so to also talk about that advancement aspect and to be a strong advocate um, for HBCUs, that's what that means. That's what that stands for. And that's what I stand for. So in any space, I'm going to advocate for funding or resources, opportunities, et cetera, because I know what it's like to be an HBCU student and witness my colleagues around me not have access to resources or their programs not be properly funded. I know what it's like to go to an HBCU and not have proper infrastructure to ins ensure the proper functioning of the entire institution as a whole. That's amazing. Well, you definitely made an impact. And, and I saw that the Washington Post had you on the cover. I mean, listen, you're on fire. And if you think anyone, if you ever feel like your work is not being seen, it is there. Listen, there are so many times, and I'm just telling you from experience, but there are so many times people come up to you and say, oh yeah, I saw you in such and such. Oh, you inspired me in such and such. And you're like, what? I didn't think anybody saw that. That, trust yeah. me, people are watching and they are inspired. Yeah. And you mentioned something earlier too about just wanting to speak up for the inequities that you see and the inequities that you personally have experienced in your HBCU experience and just in life. Um, do you ever feel pressure as to represent highly because of your HBCU, um, you know, having that experience and, and graduating there and having that degree, do you ever feel the pressure or do you feel like um, your colleagues that graduated from HBCUs that were in that program, did you guys ever talk about feeling pressure to have to represent for everybody or have to always overperform? Not that you overperform, but to society. I mean yeah. There's so many, their expectations for us are so low yeah. that I feel like there can be pressure to perform when really it's just in your bones. That's just who you right. are. You're just right. excellent. Right. But do you ever feel pressure? Ooh, no. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I know I do. I have felt pressure. That's just life in general. And I graduated from HBCU later for my master's degree, but yeah. please share your experience. I I think, you know, when I talked about to be black is political. Yes. Politics is your life. I wrote that down. Right. <laughs> to be black is also pressure in a way as well, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I feel like to be black and educated and an HBCU student and a stellar student and you're involved and you're an actress. All of these things are pressure filled. Um, and I remember sitting around with my colleagues and 
I'll be honest, we didn't have much open conversation about, or we weren't too vulnerable about the aspect of the pressure side, but it's definitely felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking personally, I did feel a lot of pressure and feeling like I had to simply just achieve. Um, yeah. And feel like I also just had to do more, do more, do more, do more. Um, but I will say that my colleagues did admit to the fact that we were all victims of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, feeling like we were enough, but being absolutely enough, um, having yeah. resumes with lined up leadership positions and lined up um, accolades and awards and honors, et cetera, et cetera, but still feeling like we weren't enough to do what we were doing or even feeling like we weren't doing enough. Yeah. Um, so the, those pressures really did kind of weigh down on me. And I would say I witnessed that weigh down on other people around me as well. However, like you said, it's in our bones and it's just as much as pressure exists for us inevitably resilience is in our bones Ooh, and so, <laughs> yeah so we're resilient enough to push past those pressures to push past those barriers and to still succeed and to still reach for the stars um and so that's one of the things that i would say um came about with the pressures like okay yes it's a lot of pressure but you know i'm going to be resilient i'm still going to keep achieving but also give myself the flowers that I deserve, also pat myself on the back and know that what I'm doing is good enough. Um, So I think what I learned with the pressure aspect is that a lot of it pertains to me um, and my positive self-talk and changing the the perception that I have on myself and the things that I do. Um, But I will say that even going into my master's program, which is at a predominantly white serving institution, I'm seeing the difference. I'm seeing the difference in performance and, you know, various amounts of other things. And yes, absolutely. We do have to overachieve. We do have to perform 10 times harder. But I think for me, I'm not going to overwork myself. I'm not going to overperform just to prove who I am. What I am, who I am, and the resume speaks for itself. And so... And then I think I think everyone, anyone who is an achiever, period, you don't have to be an overachiever. Anyone who is an achiever who has accomplished things and is striving for success, like let your let the proof be in the pudding. Let it show for itself, and don't feel like you need to overachieve when you simply achieving is good enough. Um, just to prove to someone that you are worthy. Like your worthiness is just as sincerely in your in in your existence, honestly. But even in your work and who you are, um, and so yeah, I would say those were one of the things that I kind of learned how to navigate that aspect of pressure. To now, I don't to where now I don't feel like I'm being pressured anymore um, because I yeah I know what I'm what I'm doing now is worthy enough, um, and that I don't have to overachieve and burn myself out. That's beautiful. And it's just real. It's the part of the experience. I think at some point you realize how much you've accomplished because when you're in the trenches, you're just in the trenches, you're just working. And sometimes you, your body, um, I know for me, my body will catch up to me long before my willpower. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I'm tired. You know what I mean? Like, I need to take a second. I need to take a, I need to slow down this week. But it's really great that you reframed that the mindset do you have any mantras that you use to kind of keep you motivated or what what's kind of your self-care practice you mentioned speaking positively about 
just just reframing in a positive way, which is something so many adults far older than you do not practice and do not do, which they should. Um, what what types of mantras or practices do you have? Yes. So actually, you mentioned the whole aspect of your body will tell you, you know, what mm-hmm. you've been doing, you know, a lot or and I will say that whilst in college, um, when we talk about that overachieving aspect, my body did the exact same. I had a situation where I was sick and oh, the no. doctors told me, like, it's not COVID, it's not strep throat, it's not anything. And I was just sick and I was just down and down. And it was because I was constantly in the trenches, um, burning myself out, trying to overachieve. And so I learned from that to never do that again. Number one, allow mm-hmm. myself the space to rest. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. To rest. Yeah. Because, right, rest is important. And it may seem simple, but it's needed. It's necessary. Um, And so I would say to that, when you talk about mantras, I always loved sticky notes. (laughs) Sticky notes are my best friend. I have two sticky notes on my computer right now. I literally, anytime I want to achieve something, or if I just want to have words of affirmations, I write them on sticky notes. Um, So a lot of times it'll be placed around like my mirror or on my computer, as I just mentioned, or um, on my desk even. And so if I'm feeling feelings of anxiety or I'm just feeling like kind of really defeated, sometimes I'll just read a random sticky note. And those sticky notes and affirmations have come from things that people have said to me who spoke in life Mm -hmm. to me and their words stuck with me. Um, There are also affirmations from myself, what I feel in that moment. And I'm just like, hmm, okay, I need these words. So let me write this down. And then whenever I feel this feeling again, let me go back and read it or let me go back over it to reaffirm those emotions and reassess what I'm feeling and know that, you know, what I'm going through will pass as well. So that's one of my biggest mantras for self-care. And then, of course, rest allowing myself mm-hmm. to sit down. My mom, she always told me I was a busy body growing up and I still very much am, but she's also taught me, unfortunately, do not overfill your plate. If you're yeah. full, be full, do not keep eating. And so, <laughs> so I've been learning to not um, overbear myself with so many responsibilities, know when, it's, know when to say no and yeah know when to just say okay this is enough and so that's also been a challenge for me a task if you will that I'm learning to be like okay this is enough I've done enough it's time to sit down and that's okay and that is totally okay exactly that's the part oh man you are so you have so much wisdom uh Kalea for 22 I won't even say for 22 you just have a little wisdom thank you and it's really impressive and any client of yours would be happy and pleased and delighted to have you represent their company their brand their mission ever in any capacity um and I certainly can't work with you on some initiatives one day for Bees Bayou. So I can't wait to see you. And that's if you're not already in the White House. So we'll see. Oh. <laughs> we'll see where you <laughs> come on. So before we before we end, I really want to hear from you in terms of advice that you have for maybe young women or just young people who want to become more involved in this entire political landscape, whether that's in communications, whether that's um 
as a um, a contributor or a writer or a funder, how how do you think they can maximize technology that we have right now, communications? What's the best way for them to get involved or should they just hit you up? <laughs> well, I honestly, there are various amounts of ways to get involved. But I would say my three things is one, find organizations, find businesses even that you feel really align with who you are or what you care about. What are you passionate about? Um, yeah. And uh, try and figure out ways to align yourself with them. See if you can join a fellowship program or if there are internships or if there's opportunities for volunteering um, and really try and immerse yourself in those initiatives and those organizations and the things that they do to really be um, become an activist, but also to be engaged in some way in the things that you're most passionate about. Um, and then my second thing will be to utilize social media. Social media, she talked about technology, artificial intelligence, all these things can literally be used as tools to literally catapult businesses, catapult opportunities, catapult initiatives, campaigns, issues, awareness so use social media i know if we're talking to my generation a lot of us are on tiktok uh, every generation is on tiktok i'm on tiktok y'all end up tiktok i'm gonna need help with TikTok. i'm trying right. i'm trying we need to get you on tiktok tiktok is super informative um and it's educational you learn various yeah. amounts of things but also like I said, that informative aspect, you learn about news, you learn about what's going around, going on around the world and ways to support. So we talk about, you know, supporting and and being an activist. Activist also looks like putting your money where your mouth is. So if you have the means, you know, fund someone yes. who, who has who's in need of, I don't know, their law school um Amazon list or, you know, fund an initiative to go towards a um a donation for someone who's in need. Um, so I would say definitely do that, but utilize social media as a means for news, proper news, true news, authentic news, and not information. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. And also just utilize it for yourself. Utilize it to catapult any initiatives or things that you want to talk about as well. And you never know who that can connect you with. Um, and then utilize things like LinkedIn to connect with people. I know me and Ariel, we connected on LinkedIn, especially once we after we connected in person. And so it's here I am now on her podcast. So really utilize social medias to catapult yourself even into spaces that you want to be in and the things that you want to do. And then lastly, of course, you can always hit me up, which is a given. Uh, because I'm always here. I'm always looking to connect with people and network and, and build relationships, genuine relationships, emphasis on genuine, with people who have aspirations and want to achieve things. And if I can help you, I would love to help you in any way possible, of course, through communications and advice even. Um, but yeah, that would be my three key points of advice as it relates to being navigating this political landscape and being successful in it. And then lastly... I'll add, this is a fourth one, <laughs> an additional one. Take time for yourself and that's just for anybody. Take time for yourself to do what you wanna do, to do what makes you feel good, to do what makes you feel alive. And don't don't result to um, burning yeah, yourself out, please. That's a real one. That's a real one. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Kalei. Oh my God, you are just so inspirational. 
and wishing you all the best for your master's program with well double master's program um geez thank girl, you i'm so excited for you and really i really mean it when i say i cannot wait to work with you on an initiative like you have a vision and you're really determined and really strategic about making it happen yeah. and you manifested both in the physical but I can tell you're a very grounded person and you, the fact that you even think about self-care and mantras and affirmations um, you're on your way ma'am you're certainly on your way so again can you share how people can get in touch with you yes thank you so much Ariel for having me on this amazing podcast um, y'all, if y'all have not, please, please, please donate if you can to her fundraiser. Um, Thank you. Ma'am, I absolutely love, you know, everything that you're doing, representing, you know, communities that otherwise didn't have a voice before. So you too are really impactful. And I do want to share that, you know, the work that you're doing isn't going unnoticed. Um, so yeah. And lastly, I guess the way that you guys can get in contact with me again is through Instagram. You can always hit me up on Instagram at McKenzie, M-E-K-E-N-Z-I-E-J-7. <laughs> or on Twitter, or X, excuse me, <laughs> at Afro, A-F-R-O-L-A-Y-A. Or on LinkedIn, and it's basically just my first and last name, Kalea, K-A-L-A-Y-A, last name, Sibley, S-I-B-L-E-Y. And I will definitely, most likely follow you back and connect with you. Okay, beautiful people. Thank you for listening to another episode of Say It With Your Breast podcast featuring the oh-so-dynamic Kalea Sibley. This episode has been brought to you by Bees Bayou, that is B-E-A apostrophe S, Bayou, B-A-Y-O-U, an eczema-focused hair care brand started by your girl in 2020. Thank you for all of the support. Please make sure you like and subscribe and share and follow at Save With Your Breast Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again and peace and love.